So in uh, first year biology at the University of Calgary, 800 people, you know, a big room, kind of intimidating. The professor got up and said, let's be perfectly clear. The only reason that any individual exists is to propagate the species. Therefore, once you have shared your gametes and had children and have quit, you are now useless to the species. So congratulations, most of you are useless to the species, at least according to him. I tell you that story because, you know, it just, it demonstrates how it's easy to sometimes focus on a primary purpose and forget the complexity and the richness and the wholeness that is the rest of life. Now, I don't think most of you are useless. There's one or two I'll talk to later. But, I, you know, I really think most of you are fairly useful people. And uh, there is a purpose for what you're doing. And I want to talk about that today because in some ways, I fear that our sermon last week can make us begin to forget the abundance of the rest of us. Now, I agree that the sharing the good news is the primary focus of the church. There's no question about that. I think that, that Christ made that perfectly clear. The apostles made that perfectly clear. And throughout the Bible, that's consistent with the message that God gave. He wants his message, his good news, to go out to people to save them and bring them to him. And yet I ask myself, what about all the rest of the times when I'm not able to be sharing the good news, when I'm at home or in a business meeting or on a plane? Well, sometimes you can share the good news on a plane, as long as there's no stakes on the plane. Um, so I want to talk today about the rest of us. Not the rest of us people, but the rest of each one of us. And what is it that God is asking of us in addition to getting that message out to people? And I've chosen Ephesians 5, the first part of it, as my scripture text. Certainly, if you have your Bibles, feel free to read along. Uh, I just want to talk about walking the walk and talking the talk. Being the kind of people that God wants us to be for the right reasons. So when I was a wee lad, probably about the same age that you were when you were singing that song, I uh, went down with my mother and my siblings to Montana to visit my uncle Hutch. His nickname, really, uh, you know, really hard to come up with. His last name's Hutchinson. But uh, Gene Hutchinson was married to Sherry, had two little kids, Tammy and Eddie, and they were about my age. I think Tammy was my age and Eddie was the age of my sister. And we went down to visit for about a week. So, first of all, it wasn't much of, you know, an upgrade. Usually when you vacation, you go somewhere nicer, right? We went from Alberta to Montana, exactly the same. And we went into this little farmyard, and I began to spend the afternoon with my cousins. Who, you know, I mean, I had a fairly good sense of my little narrow view of the world at that point, based almost entirely upon my life experience at home, church, and school. And it was clear to me that Tammy and Eddie were bad. <laughs> there was just no question about that. First of all, they swore. Second of all, they told dirty jokes, and they were kind of mean, quite frankly. So we had established that they were bad. This was further supported by the fact that their parents were clearly bad. <laughs> they drank. And I knew from my experience in Nanton, in my one church that I'd ever lived in, that Christians didn't drink. Even worse, they smoked. And nobody but the devil spawn smoked. I'd heard somebody actually say that at that point. <laughs> and they 
just weren't very nice about the people that they were talking about. So it was comforting to me to have placed them in their place. Bad. As opposed to be in mine, good. The problem for my, you know, just concordance here came when supper time came around. And this clearly bad woman made us all bow our heads and then prayed for the meal. So now, well, maybe they're good. But then she did something that just totally told me that something was awry because she did this. And I knew that didn't have any place to do with anything because I'd never seen that before. (laughs) So I did what any child in that situation would do. I asked my mother, what's going on here? Why do they act as if they go to church when they pray and yet they don't act that way all the rest of the time? So my mother's a wonderful person, and I hope you don't uh, take all my stories to get a bad picture of her. But you know, all of us can get a little tired from time to time, and I suspect she was tired of her older brother Gene by that point, because I said, well, how can they be Christians and act like this? Well, they're just Roman Catholics. They think that as soon as they go to confession, they're forgiven, so it doesn't matter what they do. (laughs) Well, that sorted it all out for me right there. (laughs) So... My, my point is this, there, there are ways that we expect Christians to act that really do show that we are Christ's people. And I'm going to make the point throughout the sermon today that it's not that you have to do these things to be a Christian, but rather that because you are a Christian, you're going to want to exhibit some of these characteristics. Um, the example I'm going to use is a poor one because it puts me in a bad light, and we don't like that at all. But, uh, you know, you can tell people who have a lot of um, care about uh, their property and, and their house when you first drive into their place. Now, I say that as somebody who looked like trailer trash for the last several years as I lived in a place that was too small and had things stacked up against the outside and my mobile home and a few things like that. But, you know, you do get a sense of, of how much people care for what's inside by how, what you see outside. And so there is a value in demonstrating God's character as we're supposed to be his light in the world. So Ephesians 5.1 says this, 5.1 and 2, pardon me. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So first of all, why? Why do we walk this way? Why should we act this way? Well, because God's very character is love. And I think you can make a bit of a case for the fact that love and goodness um, exist in the same sphere, and hatred and evil exist in the same sphere. And I say that cautiously because we're a little careless with words sometimes, and there are some places that, you know, we talk about God hates evil, for instance, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I think, you know, when you think about love, we think about purity, goodness, uh, the kind of things that we're supposed to exhibit as Christ's followers. We are dearly loved children. In fact, so loved that we were adopted into the family we didn't belong to in the beginning. So loved that despite despite the fact there was a cost for that, Christ willingly paid that. And as those kind of people, we are to walk in the way of love, just like Christ loved us. So a sacrificial love, the kind of love that says, if it's necessary to make your situation better, I will give of myself. I will sacrifice of myself. Because that's what Christ did. 
And he, Christ, gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So if you read through Revelations, one of the neat things that I see is that the prayers of the saints go up as fragrant offerings to God. Our actions, what we do, what we say, the way we walk, the way we talk, the songs we sing, the prayers we give, are our offerings to God. So unlike the, you know, the old ways where people would butcher an animal as a demonstration of the fact that you know, all sin requires death to cleanse it, and then offer that up to the Lord as a sacrifice of, you know, in, in some ways the way we tithe, through monetary means, they would tithe through their livestock offered up to God. Well, our very actions are our sacrifice to the Lord. And so it's in that context that we look at the rest of this. The next little chunk is a bit lengthy, three to seven. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. Now I think it's really important to kind of chunk off verses 5 to 7 and talk about those for just a moment. Because if you read that superficially, you begin to say, well, if there's any immorality, I mean, if I, if I curse, then God's going to have nothing to do with me. That's not really what it's saying at all. What it's saying is the kind of people who are, in their character, immoral or impure or greedy, and Paul makes the further statement here, you know, what is a greedy person but someone who is idolizing something other than God, idolizing whatever they're greedy over? Those kind of people have nothing to do with God. As a result, the previous statement stands that we shouldn't even show any of those kind of characteristics if we can help it. We should not be demonstrating to the world the kind of things that people who are obviously not of God would demonstrate. Now, I am sure that, well, let me say this. I'm sure I've had a greedy thought or two. And I'm sure I've had an impure thought or two. And I'm not proud of those, but I also understand that those do not disqualify me from the kingdom of God. However, I'm in a quest to demonstrate to the world other characteristics, the kind of characteristics that God has, not the kind that godless people have. So I do want to break down the first couple, verses 3 and 4 there for a minute, because, you know, it's, it's interesting. You could categorize this as saying God's people should not show impurity or impropriety. Because they really are kind of different, aren't they? There's that group of things that we just know are sinful. And as Christian people, we should not demonstrate those. In fact, if anything, we should show that, you know, we've stepped completely aside from that. And again, it's not a qualification issue. You know, you don't have to be completely impure to be God's person. That's why it's grace. In our imperfection, he reached out and saved us. And so we're simply trying to reflect and demonstrate what he is. It's not that we have to reach a certain level to be better. But in addition to just straight out impurity, things that are sinful, we're also told not to do things that are not so nice, you know. I've often said, just because I'm a snob, 
that, you know, really anybody that has to resort to Saxon words probably doesn't know the English language well enough and should go back to school. But as a Christian, really, you know, the whole idea of course language is you get a certain picture of where a person's head is at by how they talk. And uh, somebody who is always swearing, always obscene, um, you understand, for the most part, that their mind is somewhere that's probably not focused on God. Now, some people's background is such that it can, that's one of those areas that's a real struggle to clean up because everybody you ever know talked that way. And I understand that, as just as I understand that, uh, you know, not being angry with people can be a very, very difficult challenge if you have a short temper. Um, you know, that uh, being a giving person, if you grew up in a family where you, people were always greedy, can be very difficult. Nonetheless, these are the characteristics that Paul is recommending Christians show. Notice the dichotomy. And he just kind of throws it in here. He'll do this a little bit later too. He just throws in the opposite. Rather than all these other kinds of language and actions, show thanksgiving. Show thanksgiving. I'm going to step outside the main body of the sermon for a second and just talk about giving because I feel for Tom. He's in a tough place, right? He's the pastor of the church. He stands up here week after week and tries to talk about giving and, and yet not appear like the church is just after your money. So I think throughout history, we've seen some in times when the church was all about getting your money. And they would quite happily impoverish their people just so that the church had lots of money. And in our modern era, of course, I think with one word, I can get you to where I need to go, televangelists. You know, there are those people who, I mean, televangelism is perfect when you think about it. This is a way to make money off of people you can't even see and don't have to take care of. It's perfect if you're a greedy person. And, and yet we know that in the church, the church exists, this little church exists, the, the building exists, Tom Sauer gets paid, Joanne Sauer gets paid, all the, the lights get paid, simply because of the givings that we give. And we know that as Christ's people were to give in love and in cheerfulness, out of sort of a rational thought process, what can I give back to the Lord that is reasonable, that demonstrates my love for him. And I would say, for the most part, is done on a regular basis. I think there's those times when you give the knee-jerk reaction and give to something. But really, you know, most giving in the church ought to be thoughtful. It's like every other characteristic of a Christian person that, uh, you know, we're trying to be more like Christ. We're trying to show what he would do if he were here. And giving is just part of that. Uh, I, you know, we're fortunate enough to live in a country and in a, a continent and in a world where we can have a lot of stuff. And certainly we don't suffer for food, housing, or shelter, uh, or clothing. In that realm, we should be more than willing to give back to the Lord's work. And then, you know, the final part of that little passage talks about, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath becomes on those who are disobedient. This is a, a cautionary tale that's really aside from what we're talking about today, but I think is important. You know, we talked about the people whose character is greedy or whose character is immoral. Those kind of people love to take you with them. So, for example, there have been many church groups who've gone down a path based on greed or on immorality because somebody charismatic at the, top of the, or at the, at the head of the church or a group within the church kind of convinced everybody around them that this is what God would really want. You know, God loves us, therefore God would like us all to be rich. I've got a great scheme for that. 
And we've seen people go down that road. Or, you know, God would really support my lifestyle in spite of the fact that everybody else thinks it's impure. And you as a church should help support that lifestyle too. And we've seen that all too often. So it's just a warning that really, if you're going to characterize people by their actions, don't follow people that that demonstrate ungodly actions. 4, verse 8, you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, one of the problems we have today is that there is nothing in the deep, dark places anymore if you're willing to go search for it on the Internet. I mean, it is. there have been societies in the past that have ended up this way, and I fear for the future as a result of that. But, you know, unfortunately, every child, as they grow up, is exposed to the kind of um, things that we were not until we were much older and perhaps better capable of handling it. Um, You know, there's... Naive is a good word. It's kind of nice to be naive. You know, it's, it's refreshing when a 20-year-old goes, oh, I never really got that before. And, and you go, oh, good. Well, that's, your mind hasn't been there. But unfortunately, we live in a world where that's harder and harder to come by. So our actions really do help to shine a light in the dark places and, and show a different way of doing things. Now, you have to be careful with this. Um, I have a good friend who has only now begun to re-darken the church's doors uh, because he was really turned off by what he called hypocritical people. And I know you've heard this before. Those Christians think they're so good, and yet they got problems just like the rest of us. Well, of course we do. <laughs> we're not perfect. We're just saved. And we're trying to demonstrate that in our life. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we still make mistakes like everyone else does. In fact, if anything, we should be more forgiving of one another's mistakes. The problem comes... When I and, say, the first two pews realize that we're really good. In fact, we're just almost a perfect reflection of Christ. Now, the rest of you don't measure up to our standards, of course. And we need to make sure you know that. So that's a problem. Because if I demonstrate Christ in a pure and perfect way on Sunday or Wednesday, good job, but there's still all those days to come. And I know, past experience as any guide, that I'm still going to screw up from time to time and not be the person I want to be many times. So it's important to show Christ not only in the purity and the, the beauty that is Christ's love, but also in the willingness to understand that Christ is reaching out to everyone. Every despicable sinner that we think is way worse than we are, Christ really wants to see as his person. So they are loved by God as well. And if we are to demonstrate Christ, we must love them as well. And that means that at no point are we better than them. Uh, We haven't earned our salvation. It was given to us freely. I, I think it's important to realize there are things we should not talk about as well. And that's where the last part here... It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. 
Sometimes we have to expose things, show them for what they are. At the same time, we don't have to walk in the muck. So if my pigs are mired in muck in the corral, and I want them to be nice and clean, the first thing I do is open up the corral and let the pigs out. I don't walk in there, get knee-deep in the muck, and try and hose them down. Pretty soon it's indistinguishable which one's which. My wife would say that happens before I crawl in, but that's a different story. Uh, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live as wise people. Be smart. Think about it. What would Christ do? That's what I would, you know, what would Jesus do? That silly little phrase that was there a while ago. Very powerful, and yet demonstrates the one thing I do want to caution on here. And that's, you know, this isn't, we can't make this better. I think of love as a pure cleansing light. So we just put a UV system in on our water. The whole idea here is the ultraviolet light goes and kills all the bad critters. The Hindus hate me, but, uh, you know, it, it gets rid of all those things I don't want going inside of me. The light is purifi- purification. And, and the light that shines out of us should be pure as well. There is no place for, you know, Christianese here. You know, we can say thee and thou. It's not going to make us better people. We can, we can you know, do a, you know, saccharine sweetness that's not a real sweetness. And, and act all nice and pleasant to one another. But if it's not real, if it doesn't come from within, it doesn't matter. And, and I think that's important because we've seen groups that are just, well, quite frankly, they make the skin on the back of your neck crawl a little bit, right? Because you know that although they act nice, there's something underneath. And uh, we need to be cautious as it comes out of a place of real love for Christ and not just a way to gloss over problems. And again, this dichotomy. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. talks about don't get drunk on wine. Why? Because if you're going to let yourself go and give up your inhibitions, do it for the Lord, not just to make yourself act foolish. Now, again, it's important to understand the context here. Jesus changed water to wine. The disciples drank wine all the time. In fact, the communion table... uh, traditionally and truthfully, should be with wine. God made beer for men's happiness. All of that's biblical. What he didn't do was say, go and get yourself smashed and act stupid. If you're going to immerse yourself in anything, immerse yourself in the Lord. Uh, Don't let anything else control you, whether that be money, spirits, like the drink, not the little Casper ghost, Um, drugs, sex, None of that should control you or own you. Christ owns you. And that needs to be evident in the way you act. And finally, this business of always have a song on your lips. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go around singing all the time. There's people that do that. We make fun of them. But it does mean that there should always be welling out of us. Um, our thankfulness to the Lord, our worship of the Lord. You know, if you're going to have a song stuck in your head, far better one that you've heard here than one you've heard on Saturday night. You know, these kind of things. Always have that attitude of thankfulness. And again, why? Because, number one, it is a witness. 
It shows to the world around us what Christ is. And we are to make that light shine. Second, and perhaps more importantly, these are our offerings to the Lord. Our good life demonstrates to him that we really appreciate what he's done for us, and we are trying each and every day to be more his people. So we are asked to walk the walk and talk the talk. Segway. We have been given this opportunity to be part of a community with the Lord. This is a tremendous gift. We are in communion with the creator, sustainer of the universe. We are there because he went the extra mile for us. And so today is Communion Sunday, and we're going to celebrate the communion that we have with the Lord and with one another. Before he was sacrificed, knowing what was going to happen, he sat his apostles down he said, I want you to understand that this life-giving bread, the main sustenance in our culture, represents my body broken for you. It's my sacrifice that's going to sustain you in the days ahead. This drink that we have at each and every meal represents the fact that my blood will be shed as a seal of the new covenant that I am going to share with you of a world together as, as God's people. And so we're going to ask the uh, servers to come forward. We'll, we'll break the bread. We'll serve them. And then ask that you come up uh, as a group. And uh, generally what we do is we take a piece of the bread and dip it in the, in the juice and then have that. And then to further expand that, we are having a potluck Sunday today. And really when you think about it, the communion table was at a potluck. And so I, I want to just tie those things together because... You know, the joke when I was growing up was, how did you know a church of Christ? Well, the food was always there. And, you know, really that is such a core part of our existence, sharing food together, uh, that Christ chose to use it as a lasting symbol of the communion that he has with us. So let's have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll call the communion service forward. Father God, as we come to this time, we just thank you again for what you've given us. And as we try and... uh, and, and work every day to be more like you. We just ask and pray that you would help us to realize um, what, that, that our deeds are simply a reflection of what you've given us. We also ask your blessing upon the loaf and the cup and upon the potluck to come. In Jesus' most holy and precious name, amen.